Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, hustlers, we know that this 2024, the entrepreneurial journey is filled with challenges. An often overlooked aspect is the time-consuming task of processing payroll and managing government requirements. And did you know that the average admin spends a whopping 50 hours per month dealing with just government compliance? That's time you could be spending on growing your business, or let's be honest, taking a well-deserved break. But fear not, we got a game changer for you, introducing Sprout Solutions and their tailored solutions for MSMEs called the Payroll Starter. With Sprout Solutions Payroll Starter, you can finally reclaim your time and get your life back on track. Say goodbye to the stress of remembering tax dates or worrying about missed payroll runs. This bundle is designed to make your life easier and your business more efficient. And here's the best part. The cost starts just at 5,000 pesos per month for businesses with up to 10 employees. Yep, you heard that right. That's just 5,000 pesos per month. So why spend another minute drowning in payroll paperwork when Sprout can revolutionize the way you manage your payroll and government requirements? Take the first step towards a more efficient business today. Visit sprout.ph slash payroll starter monthly 5k. If you missed that, don't worry. We have it in the description box of this episode. So click that too. And again, big shout out to Sprout Solutions because your time is too valuable to be spent on paperwork. Reclaim it with their payroll starter. Now let's begin this episode. The Hustle Share Podcast is brought to you by Capita. Capita's software solution seeks to automate the equity management process for startups, including workflows around cap tables, ESOPs, due diligence, and transactions. Sign up at Capita.com to get started with your digital cap table, ESOP, award granting, and all things equity. Free for companies with under 25 stakeholders. Also powered by Limitless Connect. Limitless Connect can provide digital CX solutions. The teams of Limitless Connect have years of CX experience, which equip them as the driving contact centers in the future. Sign up for a free consultation with Limitless Connect at www.limitlesscx.com. With Limitless Connect by your side, anything is possible. And brought to you by GoTime Bank. GoTime Bank is owned by Gokongwei Group and Ayala Corporation, the companies that brought you brands you love like Cebu Pacific, Robinsons, Ayala Malls, and many more. GoTime Bank makes next-level banking a breeze with its convenient account opening process. It takes less than five minutes to get started via the free app. Plus, get your GoTime Bank Visa card at one of their kiosks for free. Download the GoTime Bank app today and experience the next level of banking. You may visit www.gotime.com.ph for more details. You have all these deals, but finally people make deals. Numbers and Excel sheets don't make deals between each other. So, and who are these people? These are big investors. These are founders. These are entrepreneurs. Welcome to Hustle Share, the podcast that features the daily grinds of unique hustlers around the world to show not our differences, but that our hustles are very much alike. Now here's your host, Ronster Beit-Yong. Welcome to the latest episode of the Share Podcast. It's been a while. Oh my God, since I last recorded. I've been flying all over the place, but you know, one thing that I do miss every single time 
is talking to amazing founders. And if you've been listening to this podcast over the past year or in a few more months or just, just this year alone, I've been talking about this amazing product that y'all should have. We've been talking about it at the start of the episode, in the middle of episodes, even old episodes. We're talking about this amazing product called Capita. But again, I, it won't be amazing if you didn't find out the hustle behind that. Because today we will have their founder and CEO is Mr. Ravi Ravula Parthi of Capita. Whoop, whoop. Welcome to the show, Ravi. Thank you for being Thanks a lot, the- Ron. Thanks for having me on the show. I was looking forward to it. Again, yeah, very big fans of what you guys do. I really thought that I, we were talking about this on the break. I thought that Ravi is going to join because I, nobody's visiting Capita from the Philippines. <laughs> it's like, maybe it's like, hey, I better, I better talk to this guy because nobody is uh, visiting. But I, I heard there's some good news. Ravi, are there people actually trying Capita from the Philippines? They are actually. And thanks to our partnership, we keep getting inquiries, which is a very happy partners. Thanks for letting us partner with Hustle. No worries. Again, thank you so much. And again, very grateful because you guys are doing an amazing job. But before I get carried away, Ravi, I need to ask you the million dollar question. Ravi, what's your hustle? So we started Capita at a very unique time in Southeast Asia and India. We are going through a phase where there's an explosion of startups and startup ecosystem in this part of the world. And that's the reason for Hustle Share. That's the reason for Capita to exist. And this is a new phenomenon, right? This is a last decade phenomenon in this part of the world. And as entrepreneurship and startup ecosystems develop, we felt like someone needs to build software that helps manage who the true owners are of these companies. And that is not just investors and founders and shareholders, but also employees who own share a part of the company through employee stock ownership. And once we record this ownership on a software system, we'll be able to facilitate transfer of ownership or how this ownership changes hands. Eventually, that shares result in some value to owners of shares. So that we thought it is high time somebody starts digitizing all of this. And and this has been done elsewhere in the world. No one's built it for this part of the world. And we're building it for this part of the world. And these guys are doing an amazing thing. And you're absolutely correct because each startup journey that you embark on, that you have, I mean, this is my third get, get go at it. It doesn't get easier, by the way. You won't be able to get through any significant hurdles if you didn't have a great team. And if you're going to do a great team, you're going to have a great team. You got to have, you got to give people skin in the game. And skin in the game only happens if you're able to properly give them shares as they vest. And again, it's a big pain in the ass. I've tried it before, before you guys came through. Oh my God, it wasn't easy. But before we talk about giving away vesting and shares and all that, we're going to have to go all the way back and figure out how you became the founder of Capita and how you thought of this, because we're going to have to ride the hustle share time machine. All right, we're all the way back in Bangalore. So before we, before we start again, very, very big fans. I've had several founders already that uh, came from India. And one thing that I've noticed all the time is that very 
similar to how Southeast Asian founders are. We don't, we didn't get it easy. <laughs> Everything is hard when you're raised as an Asian entrepreneur. But I want to understand before you became an entrepreneur, before you became a tech native or professional, what was it like growing up? Can you describe what the environment was or was there even any early inspirations of hustle that you saw growing up? Yeah, Ron, I wish I had a fantastic answer and said I started hustle at the age of five, but that isn't true. Actually, it's a, <laughs> a, a relatively boring start to my career. Um, uh, no, I, I just made that up. But it's it's actually uh, a, an interesting start to my career. Uh, you know, if you're growing up in India in the 90s and I was, if you were good academically, you're parents would ask you to either become a doctor or an engineer, and there were just two choices. So um, I went to one of the best engineering schools in India and then became an electrical engineer. But I was a very poor engineer. And I said, I joined Infosys for a, for a while and I started coding and, you know, it was interesting, but it, I just felt it wasn't for me at that time. Um, decided to uh, do my MBA in one of the, again, one of the best schools in the country in India and did my MBA and fell in love with economics and finance and, and started. Tata Group is one of the largest business groups in, in India, the largest business group as it stands today. And when was lucky to become a part of a three-member team at the Tata Group chairman's office. So I was this uh, very young kid straight out of business school who was in the group chairman's office of the Tata wow. Group. And 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 was what it, it was a fantastic journey. I had fantastic exposure to what was then a $50 billion business is much bigger today and the biggest business house in, in India. And there was a small team set up to acquire global telecom companies within that group. And so I was a part of that team. And that led me to do a bunch of M&A across the world. This was when Indian telecom companies were buying some telecom businesses across the world post the WorldCom bubble. Wow. And with that, a very strong interest in finance and deal making began. And then I went on to become an investment banker. I worked in Mumbai for three years. Then uh, that's basically how my finance career kicked off. I'm, I'm happy to pause here and see if you want me to go further along the time machine. We are not just going to pause. We're going to do a deep dive because that's how we do it. A couple of things that I would really want to know because you did a career shift. You're in tech, you're in engineering. That's heavy logic that you're going to have to do. Then you all of a sudden realize that, you know what? I don't like doing this. This is not me. And you go to, to finance. What things carried over and what are the things that you had to learn as well? Or were there very similar things that crossed through just interpreted differently? Uh, no, there, there is a very strong underlying factor that I, I took over across. In the first place, I became an engineer because I loved math. And math is very logical, right? Math and logic kind of go hand in hand. And so, uh, so that structured thinking, that structured process kind of helped me through. And even when I did my MBA, I wasn't set out to be a marketer or someone who's good with words and language and communication. It was finance that fascinated me and economics. And that kind of background kind of helps because it helped in finance. And I fell in love with finance. And when I got an opportunity to work on all these large M&A deals, that finance background kind of started helping through. So my very first deal was actually acquiring a business that was listed on NASDAQ, delisting what? it and letting the Indian company acquire that business. And so at a very early age, I kind of got exposure to international M&A 
that's amazing. And again, you're doing that as just at a young age. I've learned so I've heard of so many people that was able to do this, but they had like five, 10 years of skin in the game before they even got the chance to be part of these MA and you know capital markets. But I want to understand one more thing before we talk about the MA game, because that's magical as we speak of it. But one thing that really, I guess, propelled you was your exposure or you were that close to the chairman of Tata, right? When you did this, first of all, I want to, aside from, of course, the, the soft skills and the hard skills, because I want to understand the skill stack. So your baseline love is finance. So, okay, you're, you're going to do that wherever you go. I want to understand two things. Hard skills, what are the layers of new skills you learned early on in the Tata game that you were able to accumulate all, all, all the way even probably to your M&A gig? But I also, I want to understand the soft skills that you saw, say, like a chairman of a big conglomerate like Tata that you, that you absorbed and as a young, at, at a young age where you're really a sponge in getting all of these things. What are those? Uh, that's a great question. So a couple of things. Very early, uh, you know, I was working with a large group of business leaders. And so analyzing a business from the top became, I, I believe there are two or three professions that help you understand a business from a top down. One is management consulting. One is investment banking. And so when you're alone and, and the chairman's office role wasn't very different, it forced me to kind of understand or analyze a business from the top. I would get this IM from a Morgan Stanley or a Standard Chartered Bank or a Citibank. And then my job would be to translate that into a one-pager for the chairman's desk, <laughs> which essentially meant three things, analyzing and understanding, making sure the most important things go on that one page, also making sure that then my communication can't be too bad. I have to convey what I want to convey in that one-pager. You know, that would be heavily edited before it goes to the chairman's desk by my bosses. For me to do my job properly, I had to understand what's written in these long documents and so on. So two, two things, analyzing a business from a top. And then being very precise and crisp in your communication are the softer skills again. But there was a third thing with both the businesses. My first two jobs in Forces, whenever I was an engineer and Tata, these are two business houses that are very well reputed, very well known for their business values yeah. across the Indian. If, if you kind of look at what's the DNA of this business, if you just do a Google search, it will come out in the very first few hits on both these businesses. And Tata has been survived for, you know, it's like the GE of India. It's been a business <laughs> that's been there yes. for forever. And so when you work in these businesses and you see how the business leaders work, you also need to see what how important it is to kind of stick to some basic values when you want to build business and business houses at scale. And what are those values, just so that we know? I remember as a very young, fresh graduate, the chairman or the, the CEO at that time of Infosys coming and talking to us and saying, don't try to save on taxes. That's a good thing. Well, even little things like that. So both these houses, both these business houses are very high on ethics and values. And as I built my career in finance, where it, this, this becomes a really, really important thing to keep in mind. The second thing is how those business leaders communicated way down the rank and file. The chairman of the data group is probably overseeing 100,000, 200,000, you know, probably for half a million employees. And oh then how do you ensure some of what you want to stand for gets communicated across and how you take discipline calls. And sometimes the risk of short-term negative impact for the business for the long-term uh, sustainability, like, you know, Tata's for the longest time decided to stay, even today, stay out of the media business. 
and that's a dead to specific call because you said if you're if you're in the media business then you sooner or later you have to align with the one side of the political spectrum but we wouldn't <laughs> yes. do it so and it's not just specific things but it's defining what you stand for and then sticking to it that's the biggest takeaway and then fast forward to today if when we are building our business it helps us think about what kind of team and how do you want to build what do you stand for these are all important things as you scale teams right and of course you reward them with isap right because at the end of the day that's always the cherry on top uh, absolutely and on that front infosys was a pioneer in the indian market is one of the earliest companies to actually institute employee ownership wow that's amazing so again these are the, the inklings of how you're able to build capita and i wanted to understand how that was built onto you but i want to now move forward to to mna right so mna after this is after the dot com bubble right yep. and every single time a bubble bursts there's winners and losers right We've seen that in the late 90s bubble, 2008. I think we're in the midst of a bubble right now. <laughs> the worst has yet to come. And there's always winners and losers. But those who win always see things that are hidden in place sight. Opportunities where people always see chaos and, you know, it's a fire sale and everything. Winners see beyond like, hey, there's an opportunity here and they take action. And I think that's what you guys would have been able to do in, in that set. And you already knew how to analyze a business, but how do you capitalize on those opportunities when you were the one doing these things? Because you won't progress in this game that you saw, uh, that you, you thrived on, Ravi, if you didn't see those. Walk me yeah, through so that process. Yeah, so two two things happened in terms of acceleration of my career. You know, I worked in the Tata Group for about three and four years, and then moved to Macquarie in Hong Kong. I worked in Hong Kong for a couple of years and moved to Singapore, and that was fifteen years ago. And so, last fifteen years, we've been based in Singapore and building capital out of out of Singapore. Capital is actually Singapore headquartered business. We have a large part of our business in India, and. It, sizable part in Southeast Asia, but it's out of Singapore that we started building the capital business. So post the Tatas and post initial M&A work, if you have done M&A in the Tata group, you've practically worked with all the banks on the Wall Street. And and so uh, when I felt like I wanted to do a lot more deals, I want to understand what this deal-making universe looks like. And that took me to Hong Kong with Macquarie. And then, you know, Macquarie then moved moved me to Singapore. Three things started happening, three exciting things that were coinciding. The whole mobile revolution took place. So I was a telecom banker and my first deal was a telecom deal for the Tatas. And then I became a telecom banker and it was golden age for telecoms. This thing called the mobile phone came in first and then that wow. turned into a smartphone. So lived through all of that. And that meant a very highly interesting set of deals as the entire telecom universe started growing. And telecom also kind of meant technology had to catch up all these cell phone makers. So if you think about uh, the China market, there were companies like Xiaomi that got built, companies like Alibaba that got built. I worked on transactions with both those companies based in Hong Kong and then Singapore. Uh, On the Indonesia and India side, there were massive telecom companies getting built uh, with all these mobile. Everybody had a mobile in their hand. If you kind of think, plot the time, time period from 2005 to 2015, that's when basically everybody got a smartphone into their hands. It started with a mobile phone first and then a smartphone. So lived through all of that. And that meant an exciting boom time. You know, I used to work at an Australian bank where we would go and tell the bank, you know, we added 
uh, as many mobile subscribers in India this this quarter as the population of Australia. Uh, what? <laughs> so it, it would be that kind of era. And Singapore was a very exciting because you had the Indonesian market, which was exciting. You had the whole Southeast Asian market, which was exciting. And you know how the smartphone growth would have happened in the uh, Philippines. And then you had China, which was largely doing all of the manufacturing for all of these smartphones were starting to get built in Japan, Korea, China, eventually now in, in Southeast Asia. Uh, and and so lived through that era as a TMT banker, telecom, media and technology. Initial days, it would be telecom, media and technology. And then somewhere uh, in the last decade, it switched the other way around. It became technology, media and telecom. Tech started becoming much bigger than telecom. That's amazing. But last question before we take our first break. I want to understand. So through all of this bull run and a lot of innovation and all of that happening, there's a human toll to this. I want to understand... Uh, Ravi, the hard stuff that you had to do in order to get to call get all of these successes, because of course we're celebrating that ama- the amazing stuff you had to do. But walk us through the struggles that you had to go through, just to be able to go through all of these things. Of course, you achieved them. Great job. But I'm pretty sure there are a lot of potholes that you had to go through and a lot of suffering in between. Yeah, being a young banker in an investment bank is tough. It's like, and it's the same for lawyers. You initially start with the grunt work and it's long (laughs) hours and work many, many hours. I think I would have had many weeks where it would be 80 to 100 hours a week to start with. And that would be intense. That's a lot of work. What? But the, the the thing is, when you were working on mergers and acquisitions, there's you, what you ultimately give your client is advice on how to go about doing it. And advice, there is no time frame. You could take 10 days to give the same advice. You could give five days to give the same advice. So the deadlines are always long. And, you know, there's a saying in investment banking, time kills deals. So you yes. want to do it as fast as you can when you want to do it. And so it meant intense hours, understanding, turning things around, sometimes working really late hours and still being at your sharpest and best in terms of speed, making sure there are no errors in what you do, because each error is very, very costly. Correct. The later part of my career, it was a lot more to do with communication. You have all these deals, but finally people make deals. Numbers and Excel sheets don't make deals between each other. So, and who are these people? These are big investors. These are founders. These are entrepreneurs. And then making your, you know, advising them would mean you understand their business, suggest something often to do with pricing, with valuations, with deal structures, with shareholding, which are all very important to founders and entrepreneurs and making sure that the exact advice that you want to give gets coming in the right form and manner that finally at the end game is deals happen and that's when a banker gets paid and so a lot later part of career a lot more learning in terms of empathy communications making sure you understand motivations understand what the client wants and delivering those objectives for them that is amazing all right now let's take our first break and when we come back we will now talk about the rest of your career all the way to what triggered you to make the jump to make capita. We'll talk about that more after the break. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey guys, I have a very, very exciting opportunity I want to share with you guys. If you're a B2B startup founder, listen up. Your ticket to growth is here. Introducing Impact24, the Philippines' largest B2B SaaS challenge. Calling all startups in their pre-launch, pre-seed, or seed stages. This is your chance to accelerate their growth. Submit your pitch to Impact24 and get ready for a 10-week intensive program to elevate your solution. What's in it for you? How about up to 500,000 pesos in MVP project support, exclusive credits from industry partners, personalized mentoring, and a shot to pitch at SASCON PH, the country's biggest SAS conference this April. But yo, you gotta hurry up because submissions close on January 26, 2024 already. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your startup to new heights. Apply now at saschallenge.ph that's sasschallenge.ph. And good luck, and I'll see you guys in Impact 24. And we're back in the break. We are still with Ravi Rabulaparthi. I'm not I'm not sure if I did that, said that correctly, but I hope I did. Did I? You did great, Ron. That's Damn, there you go. <laughs> that is amazing. But I want to understand now, Ravi. So you, you, you've told me the skill stack, the struggles. But walk me through the next steps that you've gone here. So after Macquarie, you've done BNP, Paribas, Dot, and Whisper. I want to bunch this into three because this is still within telecom media. And again, this is at the bull run of massive innovation of how people behave with, with mobile. I want to understand couple of things in, in this, this journey. So as you're going through this, you're doing dealing and you're pretty sure you're pretty fucking good at it, right? Because you stayed that long. I was in bed. Yeah. <laughs> and you stayed that long. I wanted to do know two things. Most people that I know fall in love with this so hard that they become lifers. What was happening in, in this journey for you at the back of this as you're thriving, wheeling and dealing, you know? enjoying and doing all of this at the back of your head i want to understand what was that itch that you started to feel because eventually obviously it will turn into capita what was that like brewing in at the back of your head yeah so what happened in my case was as i started growing in my seniority as a banker and started becoming from an analyzer to actually a deal maker started interacting with founders and entrepreneurs a lot more that's what I did for a living, helping founders find exits, helping founders sell their businesses, helping founders raise capital. And along that journey, you end up interacting with a large number of founders. 
Yeah. And while working with them is fascinating, it also had, it was also hugely inspirational. Uh, I, each one of the founders that I worked with, uh, it's, it's a fascinating journey. And I'm sure in what you do, you experience that all the time, yep. hearing, hearing, yep. listening to stories from founders all the time. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's what happened. And that's what uh, finally gave me the courage and the conviction to actually make this uh, plunge, uh, jump myself and plunge into the deep waters and figure out how to build a company. I want to understand two more things before we talk about Capit as a whole. Was there any hesitation? Because again, you, you. Absolutely, there was. I I mean, uh, you know, all the things you read about entrepreneurship, understanding, reading about the journey and and analyzing from the outside is very different from actually (laughs) walking the path. And, you know, I was a banker. And I was doing well for myself. I had a salary that would kind of be uh, live a comfortable life in what's one of the most expensive cities in the world in Singapore. And Yo, and, 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 and then to kind of say, no, uh, I'll, I'll put a break on all of this. I'll, I'll take the plunge. I'll start from zero and and figure out my own path. And in this in this chaos was uh, was a daunting task. Couldn't have happened without the support of the spouse of my nice. partner, my happy wife. wife, happy life, right and, and it wouldn't have happened. It was important that she bought into this decision and all that would follow. I also found amazing co-founders, two two other co-founders who helped me uh, start Capita and know both of them for, I know one of them for more than half my life. So he was my classmate at engineering school and I knew the second co-founder from my Tata days, which is 16 years. And so it it was daunting uh, to say the least. Took me a while after taking the plunge to get to terms with it as well. I can imagine because at the end of the day, you're going to be probably asking like, shit, I just left a really good career where I've built a great reputation for this. And especially that creeps in when shit just, there's just a fire everywhere. <laughs> you know, that's when you question yourself, no, like, oh my God, what the hell am I doing? What did I just do? Right. But I want to understand one more thing. So you've already created this decision, right? As well. What did you do it? Did you create Capita while you were still in a job or you had to really take yeah. the plunge and really do it. And second question I I wanted to have was why this problem? Because yeah. again, no. there, you've seen business models around the world. You have the cheat code, but why this problem of all? Yeah, that's a two great questions. So first of all, I didn't start while I was still at work. Banking is a kind of job where you, you can't, you can't actually, all in. You, there's no side hub. The hustle had to be full on if you really had to build something. So like this was brewing in my head for a while. And just before turning 40, I walked up to my boss and said, look, I think I need to start something. It's time for me to do something on my own. I think I will do something in the space where I've invested. So in the area of finance, but I'm going to figure it out. So the way I frame the problem that I want to work in, I wanted to leverage the 20 years of or, or 17 years of work that I did in banking. I wanted to leverage that in what I built because that's where there's a lot of knowledge that I have accumulated over the years. And so there were two things that I, I said should happen. I should leverage the skills and the, uh, the expertise that I had built in the area of finance. And two, if I'm building anything, it had to do with technology. So I'm going to go find myself a tech co-founder I was very good at building and then only build something. And if we weren't using technology. So the way I frame the problem is if you take a bank, you know, payments, deposits, loans, investments, wealth, everything had got 
disrupted by technology, except the part of the bank that I worked in, how shares were being managed, how ownership was being managed, how private market transactions happen, how M&A deals happen is still very, very, very paper, paper Mm -hmm. heavy. And it wasn't an easy problem to solve. It wasn't going to be solved. In It's not one of those things where you build some magical piece of software it'll, that it'll happen. It will only happen over a period of time. So we said, we'll actually take on this complex problem. We'll build something. You're leveraging technology. You take on a small part of that problem and figure out. So the initial quest was, maybe I'll build a marketplace where deals happen, where people invest or people sell shares of their private markets and felt that was not scalable. And that kind of led to management of ownership, which is ESOPs is a big problem. Cap tables is a big problem. You digitize those. You build a layer on top where there can be a marketplace where people can buy and sell ownership in these companies and then you have a very uh, and that's that's going that's a complex problem to build but we felt we are uniquely positioned with all the knowledge that we have accumulated to and take a stab at it that is amazing now all right let's talk about how you talked about your team you've talked about having a co-founders how did you build the product right again you understood the problem very very well which is important so if you're a startup founder you're listening to this before we even talk about mvp whatever always ask this million dollar question. It's called founder market fit. Are you playing within your lane? Are you trying to solve a problem that you know deeply about? Or is this something like, for example, imagine if I started creating an e-commerce marketplace and I'm a podcaster, I do not know shit about these things. (laughs) My chances for success are close to zero because I do not understand it. Again, a lot of these things that are that you're trying to solve, Ravi, are personal to you and you've been exposed to this so much that you know you can actually understand it and illustrate that problem in your sleep. But problems won't be solved on its own. You have to build product. How did you then build the product and tailor fit it to the type of problem you were trying to solve and walk me through the next steps after that? Yeah, no, great question again. So as we start thinking about this problem and bringing the software, which will allow us to get into private companies and venture funded companies and startups in their equity layer. So eventually you can kind of help the transfer of ownership. First step was how do you start digitizing these? And, you know, we first said, okay, let's build a cap table software. The interesting thing was this was solved in other parts of the world, like Morgan Stanley, as I had a business that was digitizing this in the US, there was a standalone business called Carta and, you know, JP Morgan now has a business in this space. And so there were solutions built in what was the most well-developed market. And it was still early in those markets as well. It was still early, but there were solutions. And we felt this is the right time to build for these markets. Mm -hmm. And so what would differentiate us from all these other players, which were doing these solutions or building the solutions in other markets, it's got to do with this system ultimately interacts with three layers of regulation. Like if you think about ESOPs, it impact the tax law impacts in every country that you operate, right? This yep. ulti- it's a form of compensation and impacts taxation. It also depends on company law. 
how your cap table works and how shares work changes from company law to company law. So it had to it has to be built locally and tailor made to each market that you operate in. And the third element is ultimately when you transfer shares or when you think about how say shares and ownership will change hands, securities law comes into play. So there are three regulations that will govern this problem as we think about scaling each layer. And so you had to build it in each market that you operate. So if you have to build, we can't plug and play something that works in Singapore in Indonesia and something that works in Indonesia will not plug and play work in Philippines. So there are common elements, you leverage those, but there are differences and you will have to build for solving for these differences if you had to scale. And so in each market that we start operating in, you're on equal footing with any other player who may enter from any other part of the world. And we thought that will keep us, uh, that will give us chance for a startup to actually compete if any of the big players decided this market's attractive for them to jump into. And so that gave us the confidence that we can build. And it also, the, the understanding of how this regulation operates in each market is important as you scale. Now, we made mistakes along the way. We first built a cap table solution. We took it to founders. Founders said, we don't need this. <laughs> you over-engineered it. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need this. We'll just, we'll just uh, you use an All Excel. Right. Uh, Excel works just fine. Somebody does it. But if you build an ESOP management solution, you help me, employees come, employees go. Everybody wants to know how much is vested, how much is invested. It's a big problem. We'll pay for it. The investors liked the cap table solution, but the founders said we didn't need it. And then we found that ESOP was the first problem to solve that mm-hmm. directly changed something that founders and finance and HR leaders in the startups wanted. So we built that first. That became much more complex. And with that, we actually serve a large number of companies today. I think in the last year, we would have helped at least 1800 companies wow. uh, with with, uh, with you know solving some issue around their esops or cap tables right. and get getting some kind of service from us and that kind of helps us grow from there in terms of solving each one of these layers and there's a long way to go we are two and a half years old from operation standpoint so still early days that's amazing but can you describe this picture more clearly because again you built a cap table solution investors loved it the users didn't uh, which is the startups, right? But what are the common mistakes that startups and typically do whenever they're work- working on their cap table and if they didn't use Capita? Because at the end of the day, if you did not do this well, and I did this wrong before, because you can always say, yeah, you're going to vest with a cliff, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Easier said than done on paper, but giving it, it's solely different. How does that work? Good question. And we point this out every time we organize a webinar or this or on this topic or ad- address this issue with, with a lot, lot of early stage companies. At a very early stage, it's okay. It feels like it's okay. I can manage this on Excel. What happens is the complexity increases very quickly as employees come, employees go. How much is actually vested? How much is un- unvested? And so on. And what actually people don't realize is the complexity on the cap table side of things as well. Uh, while you think you know what it means and how much ownership is there, what does dilution mean? What does creating an ESOP pool on a pre-money basis before a new round happens? What does it actually mean in terms of modeling? All of this can be very complex for a non-finance founder. So if you're a finance founder, it's fine. But if it, if you're a non-finance founder, this can all be very complex and sometimes yeah. even misleading. So the way we kind of built the software is startup friendly and it's similar to what other 
players in this market might have built in other parts of the world or even in this part of the world. It's on a freemium basis. So if you're on a really early stage startup, it's free. Just use and get organized. The complexity increases very, very fast. And there are two or three things. It impacts HR because, you know, this is ESOP is a form of compensation, skin in the game, ownership, and therefore employee motivation, how every employee thinks of himself or herself as a contributor. It impacts finance function because this is an expense. It gets amortized. It impacts your accounts. Actually, an ESOP is an expense in your PNL, and yep. therefore it impacts your finance function. It impacts your corporate development, or if this is ultimately ownership, this is dilution of shares. And so your company secretary, your corporate development, your finance person, it impacts that as well. So this is multifunction impact. Being organized from the very beginning will ensure it's clean. Otherwise, you'll end up paying a ton of money to lawyers or bankers or advisors to clean it up at the time of the deal, which yep. you've been, if you've been a founder before and you've gone through some corporate action, you'll realize this is all very complex. And by the time it con concludes, it can suck up your time unnecessarily. So this is just uh, another way of being organized. It's not expensive. And so it's, it's you know, whether you use Capita, Carta, any of those other platforms, imp important to stay on a platform and get digitized early. That's, that's important in a founder's journey. But of course, you should use Capita. What the hell? Why of are course. you not, why are not gonna use Capita? It's recommended by me here in Hustle Absolutely. And this is, we operate out of this part of the world and understand what it, the local issues are and support companies. And yeah, we today com support companies or all, we com support many listed companies as well. On, that is amazing. And that's a special thing that I see because again, I'll speak from experience, right? Southeast Asia and, and South Asia is heavily nuanced. It's not a one size fits all where you just come in through and say, hey, this is, use this, it works. No, it's never like that because aside from the baseline things, it's, you know, languages are different. Every, every single country is built differently with their policies and whatnot. So if you're going to use a platform, especially if you're domiciled here, predominantly Southeast Asia likes to be incorporated in Singapore, right? If they're going to have a holding company there, right? You want to use someone or a, a platform like Capita, where, which they understand that, okay, if I'm going to deploy ESOP with my employees in the Philippines or in Indonesia and whatnot, and especially if you have goals to do this regionally, you need someone who understands it, who you're yeah. not just going to come back like, hey, I, I don't know what the hell you're doing, right? This is it's going to yeah. be a bigger headache down the road. Yeah. Well, uh, while, while ESOP is a starting point, Ron, it's also important to keep your cap table organized. That's where yes. actually ESOP is 10% or 5% or 7.5% of your cap table. It's really important that your cap table is well organized. That will help you in future fundraising. You'll save a bunch of time, legal expenses at the time of fundraisers. And that's an important part of a startup's journey. So while ESOP found the fit early, we have more and more companies using our cap table software now. Yeah, but from an operational standpoint also, guys, especially if you're building your team from scratch, the most important thing you're going to have to do if you're trying to do right by your people is build culture by showing people exactly what they've earned by hustling with you, by taking a risk with you. If they see that tangibly of how much shares they've already earned through Capita, then you're boosting their confidence as a retention metric also as you scale your team up they would now see that, oh my God, I we just built this thing together 
this is how much skin in the game I have. And I've earned this right versus those people that have come through later than me because I stuck it out with you found the, as the founder. Absolutely. Nothing builds culture better than that. Yeah, there's a saying, investors look for returns, you know, employees look for compensation, but uh, owners think about contribution. If you yeah. want everyone to think of as an owner of the company or part owner of the company, mm-hmm. and that's when you start actually thinking, how do I contribute? And so if you want that culture to get created, and it's wider, and we are seeing that we are seeing wider and wider distributed ownership, particularly in venture funded companies in this part of the world. But last thing before we take our last break, walk me through, do you have several companies that did it right? Can you give me some examples of several companies that did it right using Capita and how are they thriving now because they've used you? Yeah, we, I mean, we have a large number of companies. I think the largest company we have actually, we manage 16,000 employees Ooh. of that company access there. That's ownership. a lot of shares. Now, now that's <laughs> a lot of shares and a lot of shares. This is a large listed company. And so there are 16,000 employees. We have a steel plant, which recently on their 50th anniversary of the steel business, uh, being in the steel business actually gave... 10,000 additional employees. They probably had 4,000 before they used. Now, these are both large listed companies. Let me talk more uh, uh, specifically. And and so this is just to give you a sense of what the journey eventually looks like when you build a large business. But when we come to startups, the largest early stage company in terms of number of employees, I think we have someone who uses 1,400 odd employees. This is a tech company whose ESOPs are managed on on our system. That's one of the largest startups we have in this part of the world. We Uh have many many founders who have called us and said, now for the first time, I understand really what my safe (laughs) notes mean and how they convert into into shares. We Uh had a situation where the founder had three different safe notes and he wouldn't know what the interplay would be and how it would convert. And our team kind of not just helped him up, use the software, but also help him help understand, the founder understand what the safe notes meant for him. So there are many, many stories that I can share. We actually did employee engagement. And so founders have asked us to say, I'm doing a town hall on my employee stock options. I want my employees to understand. And can you design this for us and actually conduct it? So we actually design a full town hall for the founder to talk wow. about ESOPs once the program is rolled out. So uh, a large number of stories. I didn't want to mention specific names without explicit permission of the <laughs> company. So I kind of <laughs> gave you a description. The data ultimately and these policies and all that belong to the companies. But this, the, the, the many interesting stories like this, and, and we we interacted with eighteen hundred companies last year. So they used our platform or service in some form. And so yeah, there's a large number of stories we can share. That's amazing, and that's that just goes also to show the integrity Ravi has. <laughs> you know, that's how you know you're dealing with someone. Who will take good care of your data because again just like how he did it when he was a financial banker he can talk about the the, the overall thing but he will not name drop to you and your cap table and your esop uh as well but again amazing amazing work but let's take our last break and when we come back ravi we will talk about the lessons learned that you've had here and of course we will have our hustle share premium users to join and ask questions in our pay it forward portion. But let's talk about that more after the break. 
Hey Hustlers, it's time to talk business once again and we're excited to share a bit more info about our sponsors, Sprout Solutions. And again, just like what I said at the start of the episode, you should check out Sprout's Payroll Starter as you grow your own startup. Because this bundle that they have is literally what you need to take your startup to the next level as you grow your employees. And this bundle is your key to freedom, including payroll outsourcing to experts, a subscription to timekeeping and attendance software, and government compliance services. Sprout's Payroll Starter has you covered for payroll, BIR, SSS, and taxes. All the stuff that no founder loves to do. So let Sprout handle the busy work and say goodbye to lines and tax payment stress. All this for as low as 5,000 pesos. Again, that's just 5,000 pesos all in for your payroll and HR needs. So visit sprout.eh payroll-starter-monthly-5k or again, just click the link in the description box of this episode to elevate your business management game. And again, big thank you to Sprout Solutions liberating your time for what truly matters. Hey Hustlers, wish there was an easy way to open a bank account and grow your money without the hassle of lengthy application process and income documents? Well, I got good news because today's sponsor, Uno Digital Bank, is here to help you achieve your financial goals. You can easily open an account with the Uno app in just five minutes and one valid ID. And as one of the six digital banks licensed by the Banco Central ng Filipinas, the company is committed to providing customers with simpler, better, and more accessible banking. Last year, Uno Bank was recognized by the Asia Banking and Finance Awards and bagged the title Open Banking Initiative of the Year due to the success of its partnership with Gcash, one of the Philippines' leading mobile wallet platforms. And with the Uno mobile app, you can access an hashtag UnoReady savings account and enjoy daily interest crediting. With their hashtag UnoEarn or hashtag UnoBoost time deposit accounts, you can enjoy a high interest rate of up to 6.5% per annum. Enjoy monthly payouts with hashtag UnoEarn and flexible tenors with hashtag UnoBoost. Other app features include pay bills, the Uno Virtual Debit MasterCard, life insurance, scan and pay with QRPH, and phones. And the one thing that I really love about Uno Digital Bank is they're open to collaborate with a lot of Filipino startups. I've had a chance to see the partnerships that they've had lined up with the startups that they have, and it's truly exciting to see how a digital bank like Uno can enable startups to unlock the power of fintech through digital banking. So if you're ready to elevate your banking experience, download the Uno mobile app today from the Google Play Store or App Store. Or if you want to collaborate with them, I'll be happy to give you an intro. Just shoot us an email at hello at huffleshare.com. Hey, Hustlers, I hope you're having a great 2024 so far. As you know, a lot of startups had a very challenging 2023, and hopefully things are going to do better this year for a lot of us. Not just because it's the year of the dragon, but also because our sponsor, Dragon Pay, is here to help your startups process payments in the most efficient way. Established in 2010, Dragon Pay empowers businesses of all sizes to accept and disperse payments through secure and convenient channels, giving your customers the flexibility to choose the payment method that suits them best. With over 85 partner channels, 35,000 partner branches nationwide, including QRPH, e-wallets, crypto, buy now, pay later, and many more. They also process an astonishing 15 million transactions processed globally each month. Dragon Pay is your trusted choice for online payments. And here's something to show you how legit Dragon Pay is. 
Dragon Pay was named FinTech of the Year at last year's Philippine FinTech Festival in 2023. So let's make 2024 extra prosperous for you and your startup in this year of the Dragon. For more details, head on over to dragonpay.ph. That's dragonpay.ph. Trust the pioneer, trust Dragon Pay. And we're back with Rick. We are still with Ravi, Ravula Parthiu, that told us the amazing job that they've done in Capita and the amazing stuff. But again, this is not just a podcast where I just talk. We have our Hustle Share premium users. And again, our very poggy, very uh, amazing founder here that we've had is Mr. Gabriel Abbott, who joined us before in, in previous recordings. Is also we're here with us to have questions for you, Ravi. So, Gab, if you have questions, take it away. Thank you, Ron. So, Ravi, hi. Uh, again, my name is Gab. So, I just have a few questions for you. And uh, listening to your story, you really had a very wonderful, amazing journey from being a banker to, to an entrepreneur. So, looking back at your story, you were a prodigy. So, you had early successes in your in your life and i think the question that i have when i was listening to your story is that what do you think like looking back is the one thing that put you at a good position to keep on succeeding so was it a good mindset was it hard work was it showing up like what's the one thing that you think brought you to where you you were positioned early on in your career it's great to meet you here, Gab, and just want to uh, start off by saying prodigy is stretching it a little bit. <laughs> but uh, but if, you know, 20 years, if I look back, I think the one thing uh, I think I, I, I was always, I always felt I worked harder than I was talented. Let me put it that way. I never felt like I was talented. I always felt like I can get let. I can work a little bit harder and make it count and continue to feel that way. To today, uh, so that's been my my mantra. If you, if you want, if you want me to pick a single one, but if I have to give my kids, for example, one single lesson from what I've learned so far is that everything compounds. Money compounds, skills compound, relationship compound. So if you have to let them, you have to nurture them, you have to let them grow, and you have to keep at it. That is amazing. Again, uh, whew, that, first of all. Amazing job, Gab. That's a fun chess question right there. But okay, if you have more questions, Gab, take it away. Go. Right, that was a very wonderful answer, Ravi. It's it's a, it's a mind blowing for me as a as a as a man with, at an early age. So another question is, uh, you were an investment banker for seventeen years, right? Like, if I if I'm not mistaken, what were the things that you need to to unlearn? as you transition to entrepreneurship? Because oh. I think there were lots of things that you heard, oh, it doesn't work like this here in, in this field. It's a different ballgame, right? So what were the things were ingrained in you but you had to learn in order for you to transition better? Yeah. I don't know where to start. To start gathering. <laughs> so, I felt so the many, pain. <laughs> so, so many things to unlearn. Uh, you know, first and foremost, like on the personal front, you know, uh, a, a fixed salary was super addictive when you've <laughs> yes. got it and you've got it for seventeen years. But jokes apart, I think there's a number of things to unlearn. I mean, first of all, no established systems in a startup. We were doing everything. I mean, for the first twelve months, there were just six of us. 
uh, three founders and three developers and, uh, and two developers and one analyst. And we kind of just figured out what we want to build, what it looked like and do everything from the start. So there was a great period of learning in those first 12 months, just doing everything. And so doing some of the things which you haven't done in more than a decade actually takes a lot of unlearning and relearning. Second thing was to do with people like, you know, in a startup, you, you don't really immediately get access to the best talent that you want to get. So you have to get people, you have to get highly motivated people. So how you would hire in an investment bank into your team would be very, very different from how you would work in a startup. So essentially, I borrowed this from another founder who told me this once before. In a startup, you're trying to do something that in another corporate or a large business takes 10 years. You're trying to do that in two or three years. And so you have to have people with different kind of mindset to do it. You can't hire the same same kind of people in a startup that you would hire in a large. And that I learned through mistakes. Maybe we we got our first, we got a few hires wrong, and then you learn, and then you you get it right. And when you get it right, taking care of those people and ensuring they are with you for a long time is also really important. So a lot lot of lessons on the people side, lot of lot of lessons in terms of your own personal work ethic, in terms of, I wouldn't call work ethic so much, but your work style, how you would work and so on. There was a lot more hands-on doing than was done in uh, for many, many years, right? So I had to reset. But the biggest learnings were with... Um, how I thought about people and how how it could how it would work. And one thing which one of my co-founders taught me is always be prepared for positive surprises in your. So luck you have to be prepared for positive surprises as a start. There will be many things that will go wrong, but if you are not prepared to deal with positive things that come along the way, then you won't grab them by the horns. All right, Gab, you have more questions. Right, I am on my last question. All right, go so, ahead. <laughs> Um, sorry, I had to maximize this. No, but no, yeah. go ahead. <laughs> Ravi, uh, just just my last question, because when you decided to go all in in this company, Capita, I'd like to quote what Ron said a while ago, which is there's this thing called the founder founder market, market wherein wherein you you really have to trace your past in order to determine like you know the the, the future you you want for the company, because you know it. You, you can't change your past. You can't change the you know the person that you are. You just have to have like a niche that you'll serve or like a fit, a market that you'll that you're that you'll be able to fit. So I just wanted to ask because knowing the person that you are, and knowing the market that you wanted to serve, what was your mission? Because right? because I think yeah. So great great question. So if uh, the question the the way we think about it is, if we are successful, what impact will we make? We will make every owner of a company count, smallest owner to the biggest shareholder. Make every one of them count. Second, we'll make private market liquidity a reality, which doesn't exist today. So you give all these ESOPs, they vest in four years. IPO happens in 12, 13, 14 years. What, how, how are people going to make money out of these ESOPs if you don't give them an avenue for selling them or, or trading them for money? So private market liquidity has to become a reality if these markets have to succeed and thrive. And so this is the impact we believe. And that's therefore the tagline we have for Capita is one unified platform, all equity matters. Mm. And equity matters can be a verb as well. <laughs> So one equity, one uh, uh, one unified platform for all equity matters. 
That is amazing. Again, Gab, amazing questions. You are making my life so much more easier because you do have amazing questions. But before we wrap this baby up, um, I want to understand one last thing, Ravi, before you did. And you, you did say this earlier that, you know, deals don't happen in the boardroom. You know, as you, when you were a banker and as an entrepreneur, I'm pretty sure that how do you, what, uh, you, you did this pretty darn well. But how did you build... Again, you can't do compounding if you don't build a good network at the onset. If you're giving young entrepreneurs fundamental advice on building a network, on building a good reputation, what would those building blocks be in order to really start out with? Uh, From a network standpoint? Yeah, network and rep, because that that goes hand in hand. Yeah, so I mean, uh, network and reputation. Rep, you reputation. Yeah, rep, reputation is straightforward. Don't do anything that doesn't let you sleep peacefully at night. <laughs> yes. So that's a simple, easy rule. I'm actually repeating what I learned from books and podcasts and try to practice on my own, which is like in any interaction, try to put the other person first, at least for. Uh, a good majority part of that conversation with him and then automatically give a little bit more and then you will eventually the network gives you back more than you've given him. Give before you take. Again, thank you very much, Ravi, for such an amazing episode. But before I let you go, what is next for you guys in Cap It Up, please invite people over, our lovely listeners. And, and again, you, they hear about you in the podcast, but invite people over. What's next for Capita in the next coming weeks and months and, and probably in, the, in this year that they should look forward to and invite people over to use Capita? Yeah, uh, so uh, I mean, uh, we just feel we are at the foot of the mountain, uh, but we do make a lot, a number of things easy for startups already. Uh, all of your ESOPs, how employees interact with ESOPs, how they perceive what the value of ESOPs would be, uh, managing your cap table, getting your equity records organized, exactly understanding what your cap table translates into, if there are complex instruments, safes, convertible notes, warrants, what does it mean? What do they mean for future dilution? What does it mean for founders ownership? All of this. How is this accounted for in your accounts? What is the impact on the PNL? What it means for the CFO's office? All of these things are already solved for. You need any valuation reports to independent valuation reports to get your ESOP expensing done. That's all taken care of by Capita. But that's just the beginning. What we have this is already all offered to startups that use our platform. What's coming? We're building a marketplace on top that's in a beta mode, and we'll build that in Singapore first, waiting for licenses from the MA to launch it and once we have that hopefully we create what will be like infrastructure for private market trading we're also building some additional software modules that will actually productize other elements around equity we'll start with esops and cap tables at the core and -hmm. keep building each incremental layer until the private market is digitized that is amazing but before i let you go follow us on whatever podcast app you're listening to whether it's apple spotify or any type of podcast app you see a follow button please smash that like button follow button not that not the like button the follow button so you get also notified whenever we release any type of episode when if we did say some jargon it's going to be in the show notes on hustleshare.com and just like gab 
and look at those amazing questions that he's been able to do, please do sign up to Hustle Share Premium on premium.hustleshare.com so you get the chance to actually get first dibs. It's a totally different experience, right, Grab, when you experience it live, right? And, you know, you get to be part of the creation of the podcast as we create more. We have more great upcoming guests just like Ravi very soon. But before, again, thank you very much, Ravi. Thanks a lot, Ron. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for being uh, allowing Capita to be a partner for Hustle Share. Looking forward to continuing that partnership. It was amazing interacting with Gav as well. Absolutely. And again, I'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace.